Hi, I'm Lavinia. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to season two of There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel, their stories, their experiences told in their own voices. There's a specific kind of magic that happens when women go traveling, and the stories that spring from those experiences are diverse and limitless. Stories of harrowing escapades, quiet epiphanies, powerful connections, transformative moments, and wild possibilities. There She Goes as a storytelling podcast. It's also an invitation to escape, briefly, to some distant elsewhere with a kindred companion. We hope it offers the exact travel infusion you need right now, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's a vicarious journey to hold you over till you're ready to go exploring again, or inspiration for your next adventure. We love sharing these stories and storytellers with you. So pack your bags and settle in, because here we go. Today we travel with Lisa Boyce to Ecuador, where she searches for inspiration in the form of one courageous, elusive bird. When not working her corporate job as a communications manager, Lisa travels the world with her husband, in search of birds. Her work has appeared in the Statesider, and she has received a handful of Solus Travel Writing Awards from Traveler's Tales. Stories of her birding travels can be found at theaccidentalbirder.com, and she's currently working on a memoir. I'm Lisa Boyce, reading my story, Target Bird. Torrent Duck, stop, Jose shouted. Our driver, Manolo, immediately pulled our van to the edge of the narrow road. Jose, in the front passenger seat, stretched his arm out the window and pointed at the river to our right. I followed Jose's finger to where he was pointing, but wasn't sure what I saw. It looked like a blur of a duck slipping off the rock into the river rapids, heading upstream. Be careful, Jose instructed as he opened his door and jumped out of the van. It's steep here, and I don't want you falling off the cliff. Everything is steep here in the Andes, I thought. Jose and our group of three birders climbed out of the van to see if the duck had popped up out of the water. I raised my camera to my face and prepared my shot that would prove I had seen it but the duck was nowhere to be found. The one bird I wanted to see here in Ecuador, my target bird, was this duck, and I hadn't really seen it. I was introduced to birding when I met my husband, Steve. He would point out the birds to me, and I learned words like lifer and endemic and specialists and accidentals, lingo in the world of birding. At first, he introduced me to birds in my backyard. Then we expanded to known bird areas in the state. We traveled to national parks in the U.S. and Canada, where he was from, and finally one day, Steve opened up a world map book on the kitchen table. He slowly turned the pages of Central and South American countries and would stop at some and say, it's very birdy here. That was code for a country packed full of a variety of bird species. 
we began visiting these birdie countries and would hire local bird guides. Do you have any target birds? The guides would ask us. Steve always researched before our trips and would automatically rattle off one or two birds he knew were possibilities for the area. I, on the other hand, had nothing to contribute because I never prepared for our trips. For me, preparing was searching for cozy accommodations with Wi-Fi, shopping for cargo hiking pants in any color other than khaki, and loading up on mosquito repellent. I had no answer when asked about a target bird. And without something specific to look for, I just ambled alongside Steve with no quest, not knowing what was possible. Disappointed by not getting sight of the torrent duck, I climbed back into the van with Steve and Bill, the other birder on our trip whom we had met just the day before. We each had our own row of seats in the van since we were the only three on this bird tour on the western slope of the Andes. We were all learning to adapt to the high altitude, so we appreciated having the space to stretch out. As Manolo drove away, I grabbed the bottle of water from the seat pocket in front of me and drank the tepid water, which I hoped would help me at this altitude. Jose turned and faced me. We'll have other chances to find it, he said. I promise you. Jose knew seeing this duck was important to me because on this trip, I had been prepared with my answer when he asked Steve, Bill, and me the standard question. Did we have any target birds? Torrent duck. I want to see a torrent duck, I had said. It was a TV nature program that had lured me into the world of the torrent duck. And it was the whole reason we were even in Ecuador. This unusual species lives among the fast-flowing rivers of the high Andes, where it slips in and out of rushing rapids. The ducks nest in high cliffs above the tumultuous waters and are experts at swimming upstream into rough currents. Even torrent ducklings know how to swim fearlessly upstream in the fast water, busting through the rapids as they follow their parents. The torrent duck doesn't favor the easy life of circling a pond in a city park, but prefers river water at 9,000 feet, where the air is thin and the risks are high. It is brave and fearless. And I am neither of those things. I watched this duck on TV and could only think of one brave thing I'd done in my life. When I traveled to Scotland to meet Steve, whom I had met online, it was risky, but I took a chance, and it turned out well. Over two years after our wedding, I had an accident on one of our trips to Zion National Park in Utah. I broke my leg on an icy trail. Some hikers went for help, and Steve, a former officer in the Canadian Army, went into action to try to get me out of the shadow of the mountain to where there was sun so I wouldn't go into hypothermia. Others who saw us on the trail helped Steve drag me across snow and ice for an hour until search and rescue came with blankets and a splint. Two young guys lifted me onto a stretcher they called a litter and attached it atop a mountain bike tire. They wheeled me down the mountain as I faced up to the sky and prayed that no one would slip on the ice or drop me.
The subsequent surgery and two months in a wheelchair messed with my head, disabling my confidence about something as simple as hiking. After that injury, I'd been tentative about the trips we booked, wanting to keep our travels safe and simple. But this deck had sparked something in me that made me want to become brave and fearless again. Do you think we could see that duck if we go there? I asked Steve at the end of the TV program. Go where? The Andes. You want to go to the Andes? He asked, as though he hadn't heard me correctly. When? Our next trip. So Ecuador's our next trip, he said, as if taking a note. Then he followed with, very birdie. It will be my target bird, I announced, and that's how my quest began. Each evening at dinner, I pestered Jose with the same question. Do you think we'll see the duck? When we get to Guango Lodge, he told me, it's a higher elevation and there's a river there. They are always found there. He was never impatient with me, but always finished the conversation by returning to eating his soup, which I interpreted as, just trust me. I believed him because Jose knew this area very well. He was from the Amazonian tribal community Asani Isla, located along the Naples River area in Ecuador. He had been birding since he was a 13-year-old when his uncle, a local bird guide in the Amazon, gave him a broken pair of binoculars. That gift ushered him into the avian world. Jose spent his teenage years walking up and down the Naples River using those broken binoculars to learn all about the birds in the area. His keen eye eventually enabled him to join his uncle at the lodge where he worked and officially became a bird guide. Jose later joined a tour company leading binocular tourists in Central and South America. He was known as one of the best bird guides for Ecuador and in particular for the Andes. And he was now instrumental in my mission to find the torrent duck. Each day in the Andes grew more difficult for me. The high elevation in the Tandiapa Valley was punishing, and though our lodge was at 6,000 feet, we'd been hiking in the Ecuadorian cloud forest at 8,000 feet. The pressure on my head felt like a vice grip, slowing me down much more than I ever expected. At least I wasn't like Bill, who had been throwing up since we arrived. He was a runner and in great shape, and he was the one most surprised by his struggle with the altitude. I'm the person who usually takes the elevator rather than the stairs because I run out of breath. Yet I was not throwing up, so I felt a little smug even if I was dragging. Steve, on the other hand, didn't seem bothered one bit by the altitude, and while we hiked and searched for birds, I grabbed his hand to slow him down to my pace. As the days passed, there were a few hikes I simply couldn't manage. Sometimes it was due to altitude and other times because the terrain was steep and, in Jose's words, could be difficult. I took his hint. I didn't want to slow everyone down, so I stayed behind at the lodge where I sat on the balcony and watched the hummingbirds visit the feeders. On days when the hikes were not challenging, I joined them and saw marvelous birds the bright orange and weirdly named Andean cock of the rock, the leggy, tawny Antpita, which is a shy, stout bird about the size of American robin, 
with a stubby tail and legs for days. And the giant ant pitta, which is three times the size of the tawny ant pitta. I fell in love with the delicate booted racket tail hummingbird with its thin, long, wiry tail feathers. These marbles are about four inches in length with blue oval-shaped feathers at the end that look like flags or rackets. In addition to these feathers, the bird's tiny legs are covered with white, puffy, feathery leg booties like pantaloons or boots. While in flight, they splay their long tails like two streamers behind them with the rackets punctuating the tips. We also saw dozens of brilliant tanagers we'd never seen before. Still, the bird that continued to haunt my mind was the torrent duck. I worried that altitude sickness or my fear of the steep hikes would get the best of me, and I began to feel the days and opportunities slip through my fingers. We finally arrived at Guango Lodge in the temperate forest of the Andes. As soon as I stepped from the van, I was hit by the cold, damp air, bracing at 9,000 feet. My face went numb. I was wearing a polar fleece hat, scarf, gloves, and a jacket to help stave off the chill, but they did nothing to alleviate the altitude's vice grip on my brain. Our bags were carried to our room, and I watched them go. My body wanted to follow them, dash inside where it was warm, and lie down for days. But no, I was here for one reason. Could we find the torrent duck, I asked Jose. Smiling, he said, someone saw it today. It's just down the path. Do you think you can do it? It's muddy and can be steep. Let's go, I said. We arrived at the trailhead and faced the steep, muddy path. A little dizzy and lightheaded, I started down the trail, but I took it slow. Steve was in front of me, pushing branches out of the way and looking back to make sure I was okay. He took my hand and helped me through the tricky parts, telling me, step here and step there. As he pointed to the ground in front of me, I placed my feet into his footprints because it felt more secure. I could hear the rushing river through the dense forest and my heart beat a little faster, but I remained steady and careful in the mud. I was relieved to see old wooden planks had been placed side by side on the ground in the steeper areas, and bottle caps had been nailed upside down into the boards to create traction. I smiled with gratitude for the gesture, impressed by the clever way to repurpose bottle caps. Finally, we arrived at the flat river bank, the Rio Quios, known for its trout fishing and class four river rafting was strong and wild and would carry me away in an instant. I was proud that I had done the hike, but my pride was overshadowed by disappointment. There was no duck. We walked around to another area farther downstream. Still no duck. We walked over to a footbridge to get a good look both up and down the river. No duck. We headed back up the trail, and I realized that this quest might not be fulfilled. We were staying only one night and heading the next day to another part of Ecuador. Defeated, I trudged back up the muddy hill to the lodge.
At dinner that night, we sat at a table with other lodge guests, and with my elbows on the table, I cradled my head in my hands over a bowl of soup. Its steam swirling up on my face took away the chill, but didn't lighten the heaviness of my head. Is she okay? A man at our table asked. She's having trouble with the altitude, Steve said as he rubbed my shoulder, trying to offer some bit of comfort. Yes, it is the altitude, I thought, but it was also the duck. Has she had the coca tea? I lifted my head and said, Oh, I love tea. I would love some tea. There were chuckles and knowing glances. I felt as though I had walked into the middle of a joke. Steve whispered in my ear, Coca tea, as in the coca plant. I shrugged my shoulders as in, I don't know what you're talking about. He continued, where cocaine comes from. But is it actually cocaine, I asked. No, everyone said in unison with hearty laughter. I couldn't tell if they found me amusing or if they were actually going to serve me cocaine as a joke, but the pressure on my head would not go away. I'll have some, I said. I took my time drinking the tea. It tasted of earth and wasn't bitter like English tea. Someone from the lodge handed each of us a hot water bottle with a homemade yellow wool cover. It was warm in my hands as I carried it to a room of pine-planked walls with a curved roof. It looked like a little mouse house. Twin beds were pushed up against the wall opposite of each other, but so close that only one of us could walk between the two beds. I slipped the water bottle into my covers and drifted off to sleep. Following breakfast the next morning, I stood outside holding a paper cup of hot coca tea as Manolo put our bags in the van. I had already resigned myself to the fact that my quest would go unfulfilled. It was time to depart and explore another part of Ecuador. As I got into the van, I felt a tug on my jacket. It was Jose. Hey, want to see the torrent duck? He asked. I went and checked. It's just down the hill. I left the tea in the van and followed Jose to the trailhead. Adrenaline drove me as I headed down the hill. Jose was in front. I was behind him. Steve and the others followed. The bottle-capped planks kept me steady, and I didn't reach out for Steve's hand. I remembered where I had put my feet each step of the way the day before, as though muscle memory was leading me. I was no longer shackled by my fear of falling and slipping, and the pressure on my head was a distant memory. We arrived at the river bank, and Jose slowed, then crouched behind some branches and pointed at the river. I leaned in to see through the opening. My heart rose in my chest. A male torrent duck was standing on a boulder in the middle of the fast-moving river. The astonishing churning and turning water was like a treacherous washing machine, ready to gulp anything in its path, but the duck stood comfortably. The black and white pattern on his head resembled a bold, striking helmet. He had a black striped line at his eye, a mask. It was as though he was a superhero, which made sense to me. I snapped a few pictures, then raised my binoculars to get a good long look. I stared at his orange beak, which stood out in contrast against the colorless river. 
his feet planted firmly on the rock were a mottled orange, but not as bright as his red-orange beak. His white chest was puffed out, and he stood proudly on that rock at 9,000 feet in the cloud forest of the Andes. On the muddy bank of the Rio Quios River, I whispered, Thank you, to the duck, as if he knew that he'd brought me here. Then he slipped into the water and disappeared into danger, like it was no big deal. You've been listening to season two of There She Goes, a storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's narratives are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. Be sure to tell your friends about There She Goes and follow us on your favorite platforms. And most of all, come back for more illuminating stories from around the world.